Welcome to the Stone Choir Podcast. I am Corey J. Mahler. And I'm Woe. Today we are going to be discussing a uh, subject that we have mentioned numerous times in previous episodes. That is race. Uh, this week's episode and next week's episode will both be specifically about the subject of race. Now, before you delete this episode and fast forward and just say, I don't want to hear that crap, I'd like to give a preamble and a, a plea to those who are listening to please bear with us before you decide that this is something that's just taxing on your mind and you don't want to hear it. Uh, it's understandable if that was your first response, if you heard me say race and you're like, I'm out of here. I don't want to hear any of this stuff. There are basically three groups of people that you have ever heard discussing race in your life. First are the atheists. Uh, they're the scientists, they're the evolutionists who unfortunately have most of the data about these things, about the scientific, and again, as we've mentioned in the past, scientific means it's scantia from Latin, knowledge. Science is not simply about hypothesizing, it's not about theories. Science is fundamentally about facts. And while the atheist evolutionist scientists who deal with the subject of race, specifically in terms of genetics, often have theories that are contrary to scripture, that doesn't mean that the underlying data is false. And so today we're going to be discussing the underlying data, and we're going to present our own conclusions from that data that is consistent with scripture. So that's the reason you haven't heard this before. You haven't heard someone who's willing to engage with the facts and then willing to look at scripture and see where they fit together. Because what a scientist discovers in a lab by looking at DNA is a real thing. It's actually true. And if they have evolutionary givens that, that cause them to apply false theories to reach incorrect conclusions, that doesn't mean that the data is bad. It means that their conclusions are bad. So we're going to discuss the data in our own terms. And it's not that far from what they're saying but it's probably pretty far from what you've heard before. So that's group one, the, the evolutionists. Group two that you've heard before are basically the Marxists, people who will not really let you pin them down on what race actually means. They'll just tell you that it's, they'll basically use it as a weapon. They're going to swing some aspect of race or racism or whatever they're talking about, specifically as a political cudgel, within a conversation to demean one group or to elevate another group or to set two groups against each other politically. And it's a huge turnoff. It's incredibly aggravating. You've probably been on the receiving end of some of those lies. And so when you hear race, you think, I'm sick of this crap. I don't want to hear it anymore. That's not us. We're not evolutionists. We're not Marxists. We're not using this as a cudgel. And the third group is frankly probably the group that you were in as a Christian who, I'm going to call you naive, but it's not meant to be demeaning or insulting. It's just, you've never looked at this stuff. You don't care. You don't think it applies to your life. And so you haven't delved deeply into the facts that underlie the history of the subject. The reason that that's a problem is that when a Christian ignores the facts related to race, as a Christian, you're going to then simply turn to Scripture. And so it's very easy for Christians who ignore the facts, look at Scripture, to reach incorrect conclusions that sound scriptural, but they're nonsense. And we're doing this episode specifically to try to get people over the hurdle of saying things like one race, the human race, 
as though that precludes the possibility that there are subdivisions among humans. To say that that doesn't exist is to contradict Scripture. And so this episode is actually going to be broken into two parts. Today, this first episode on race is specifically going to deal with the scientific basis. Uh, it's going to be an episode that's a little bit unusual from some of the others as in that we don't talk much about Scripture, but we're going to talk a fair amount about Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 through Genesis 11. So from the creation through the Tower of Babel, and then we'll extrapolate a little bit from then more into recorded human history as the, we get records from elsewhere and archaeological evidence. But we're not going to rely very heavily on Scripture and in particular, we're not going to address any of the soteriological disputes of the notions of race, of the claim of race, of the fact of race. So if, as we're going along, you have in mind Galatians 3.28, which said that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for all in one in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask you for the, the sake of argument to simply set that aside, we're going to address it in the second episode. We're going to address it in detail. That could be an episode all by itself. We could do multiple episodes just on Galatians 3.28. We're not going to address it today. So if as we go along, you find yourself shouting at your, your phone or whatever, there's neither Jew nor Greek, we're going to get to that. That's not remotely what that passage means. It's not a refutation of what we're saying in this episode. So that's basically just a preamble as a plea to hear the whole thing out before you decide that we fall into one of the first two buckets of either the evolutionist or the Marxist, uh, which is what some people online, particularly a number of pastors, have accused us of, uh, mainly to discredit us and say that we're hateful and we're not Christian at all. Corey and I fall into a fourth group. Men that have looked at this stuff have studied it. Because we see that the world cares, we see that Satan cares, you as a Christian may not think that race has anything to do with your life or with salvation or with how God operates in the world. Satan feels differently. And you can tell that even right this moment before you've heard anything else we have to say in any of our arguments. You can tell that Satan cares because you can't get away from this damn subject. That tells you that Satan has a skin in the game when it comes to the subject of race. Now, the hurdle that we're hoping to get people over is the idea that talking about it at all is evil. We obviously don't believe that or we wouldn't be talking about it. If, if we believe that we were saying something evil, you know, if we were Christians, we would shut our mouths. We wouldn't say it. So I simply ask for you to bear with us for this episode and the next episode. And if at the end of that, you find that we have been evolutionists and Marxists all along, that's fine. You can reach that conclusion. Just hear our argument first. So with that out of the way, we're going to begin with, as I mentioned, the, the first fundamental misconception that is widely applied among Christians, and that is that there is one race, the human race. And so the argument that we often hear from Christians when it comes to race, as stated, is one race, the human race. And the underlying argument for that is that because we are all ultimately descended from Adam, we are all of the race of Adam. The problem with that statement is that it is both true and false. It is true because to speak of men as the race of Adam is accurate. But to then conclude from that that all men are of the same race 
is to equivocate with regard to the term race. Race can refer to various levels in the hierarchy, in the ancestry of a particular life form. And so, for instance, a good example would be you can speak of the race of dogs. Usually for dogs, yes, we call them breed instead, but it's the same thing, same concept here. If you speak of the breed of golden retriever, you are speaking of something more specific than just dog. They're all dogs. So a golden retriever, a Pomeranian, a Rottweiler, these are all dogs. But they are different breeds of dog. The same for humans. You can speak of the race of Adam, human beings, as being one species, because we are, in fact, one species. By any reasonable definition of that term, all of humanity, one species, the race of Adam. But we have, over time, according to God's good ordering of creation, become separate races, distinct from each other. Because as we moved, we adapted to the areas where we started to live. God designed it that way. It's very clear. He gave us the order, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That was what we were supposed to do. Different groups moved to different areas. And so as that happened, you have the creation of the different races as they exist today. Now, of course, the real genesis of this is in Genesis is right after the flood. And the reason we have a real break there is because you have obviously from Adam and Eve up into the time of the flood. You have man proliferating over the face of the earth. There are various genetic differences over time. We don't know as much about the antediluvians as we do about those who've come after the flood, of course. That would be us in the latter category. But you have a bottleneck. And that bottleneck is Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. We don't know the genealogy of their wives. Much of the genetic variation we see today probably came from the wives of Noah's sons. Because obviously Noah's sons, very closely genetically related. The wives, not necessarily so closely related. And they spread out after they got off the ark. The ark came to land in Mount Ararat, which our best guess is eastern Turkey, or maybe a little over the border of Turkey right in that area. And that bears out. If you look at the DNA of the various human groups, if you look at how related we are and to whom we're related, you can see that we spread out from basically Turkey. The old out-of-Africa hypothesis was not wildly wrong. It was off by several thousand miles because the ark came to land in roughly modern-day Turkey. Europeans are descended from Japheth. Japheth moved north and west, filled Europe. Eventually, some became sailors and also filled the southern end of the Mediterranean, which would be North Africa. The Shemites stayed in the Middle East and also moved eastward into what is today Asia. And the Hamites moved south through Egypt and then into Africa. Probably assumed that the Sahara was not quite as big at the time, so it was more passable. And that is how you end up with the modern racial groups. They spread out from Noah's Ark, descended from the three patriarchs, and so you have essentially three major groupings of human beings, major divisions of human races. Within that, yes, you have 
smaller divisions to go back again to the term of race and what it means, going from the smallest up to the greatest. You could speak of the race of Germans. Then you could speak of the Germanic race, which would include the English and the Dutch and others. Then you could speak of the Japhethitic race, which would be Europeans descended from Japheth. Then you could speak of either Noah or Adamic race, which would be all men. And so it's important to note how the term is being used and not to equivocate, not to conflate the different senses of this term, because that is often deliberately misleading, but in many cases for Christians, it is unintentionally misleading because there is a use of a term as if it were univocal when it is not. I think one of the toughest things that Christians have to face when looking seriously at the data about these matters is that, as I said, group one, the atheists and the evolutionists who do most of the research, who control most of the publication, historically they haven't lied about the data, although that's happening today just in the last five and ten years. There's more deliberate fudging of the data specifically to accord with what Christians claim as their own morality, to say one race, the human race. Today, the scientists are now saying the same thing, and they're altering their data to achieve that desired outcome when the data doesn't support it. So as you delve into this, it's a real challenge because you're forced to listen to people who are going to reach incorrect conclusions based on their faulty givens. And most people are not really equipped to to sort the good from the bad, to, to look at data that itself is sound, is solid, like, for example, genetic data that bears out what Corey just said about three different racial groups that are present in genetic data. You can, you can look at someone's genes and determine, based on statistical analysis, which of those major buckets they fall into. And in fact, with a reasonable probability, which of the smaller buckets they fall into. It's not 100% certain, but even when it's off by a bit, it's not going to be off by much. You're not going to look at the, the DNA of a German and mistake him for a Ghanan. You will mistake him for a Frenchman. You could mistake him for an Englishman. You're probably not going to mistake him for a Bosnian. And again, you're, you're not going to mistake him as Japanese, even at the genetic level. You have no idea where it came from. Like it's just it's a blood sample that from which you extracted DNA or epithelial where wherever you get your DNA sample, when you profile it, this stuff is present. And so you don't need to be a Christian to look at the data. And that's that's a hard part of this conversation because as I said, the evolutionary atheists who are crunching the numbers will then reach evolutionary atheist conclusions. And for a Christian, when you're looking at it, you're faced with sorting the true data from the false conclusions, and the temptation is just to say, ah, this is all crap. Because what you're looking at is, you know, a scientist who will say that the Earth is, that the universe is 14 billion years old, Earth is four and a half billion years old, life is a couple billion years old, and you had proteins that somehow became cells, and then a cell became a fish. And then a fish became a monkey, and a monkey became a man, and a man became a race of men. And as a Christian, you know that almost all of that is nonsense. The earth is 6,000 years old, and all the DNA in our bodies comes from Adam and comes from Noah and the, the wives of Noah's sons. That's a scriptural fact. It's also a scientific fact. 
what the scientists get wrong are the time frames that are involved. And so when you're looking at the raw data, you're going to find a bunch of erroneous conclusions. And I think that for a lot of people, I, we're, we're, we're doing this episode in the hope that you can at least take a basis for being able to understand these questions in a Christian fashion that is not at odds with the scientific facts. If at the end of this you just throw up your hands and say, I don't, I have no idea what's going on, I can't make heads or tails out of it, honestly, that's okay. Not everyone is equipped to be able to actually wrap their heads around this stuff. But what I would say to you is that if you personally get to the end of what we're saying and say, I can't make heads or tails of it, that's fine. But you should, in the future, when you hear discussions of race, refrain from participating. Because what you're saying is, I don't know enough to be even be able to reach a conclusion. And what we're trying to say is that there are conclusions that can be reached that are consistent with Scripture, that are also consistent with the facts. Because guess what? That's what the truth means. The truth from God, the truth that is revealed in Scripture, and the truth that is revealed in creation are all of one spirit. It's all the same thing. And the fact that there are scientists who are atheists who come along and butcher the facts of creation doesn't alter creation. It just means that they're telling lies about it. And so as we discuss this, it's important to tease those out. So as Corey said, everything became with Adam, began with Adam. All of the genes in every single human being today came from within Adam's body. Eve was created from Adam. We have no reason to believe that there was any portion of Eve that did not come directly from him. In fact, I would say it's, it is arguably a heresy to say that there was a single cell in her body that was not derived from Adam. Now, it's important to note when, as we go down this path that when we're talking about inheritance and we're talking about relation, you get half of your DNA from your father and half of your DNA from your mother. What that implies is that half of your father's DNA is not inside you because the other half came from your mother. You have 46 chromosomes. You get 23 from each of them. As you go back generationally, you know, when you go back, generations are powers of two. So one generation back means that 50-50, that's one half. Two generations back is one quarter, so 25%. If you go back seven generations, you're at less than 1%, because 2 to the 7th is 128. So you're looking at 1 128th of the available genetic data from your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather in your own body. What that means is that there's a 50-50 there's a chance that you'll have a shot at having some of their DNA in you. Now, this is important for two reasons. One... It's possible if you go back far enough that you may not have any of the specific genes from one of your own ancestors. This is very common. It's something that shows up when genetic analysis is being done. If you go back not too many generations, it's possible simply to lose the thread of relation, not because you're not related to them, but that just that there were no specific genes coming from them. On the other hand, the second vital point is that all humans are approximately something like 99.2, 99.5% the same genetically. This is one of the arguments that's made for one race, the human race, saying all the genetic variation among various human groups is in that last per half percent. The reason that's misleading 
is that chimpanzees are about 98.8% the same as human DNA, which is why the evolutionary scientists will say fish-monkey-man race, because they see the similarity between the monkey and the man and say, well, clearly they came from the same place. As Christians, we know that's not the case. And even more ridiculously, dogs are 94%. (laughs) So is it one one race, the mammal race? Cats are 90%. And to give people an idea of how little DNA varies, even across species, fruit flies are 60%, the same as human beings. So it, it does not take a huge difference in order to... Well, it doesn't take a huge difference genetically in order to have a significant difference phenotypically, which is the expression, of course, of the genotype. Yep. In fact, so in some all... cases for humans, it can be as little as one base pair. Yes. What that tells us is that God likes patterns. He likes repetition. We see this everywhere in the universe. Galaxies all have similar structures. Galaxies all have different structures too, but they're variations on a theme. You know, it's just like Beethoven or Bach, when they're writing their magnificent works, they will begin with a phrase and then they'll build it and they'll evolve it and they'll grow it into something magnificent. And then they'll start all over again and they'll do the same sort of process and reach something that begins with the same basic theme, the same phrase, but it takes it in a very different direction. But you'll hear those same echoes throughout the entire piece. That's a reflection of what God does in creation. So the fact that monkeys are 98.8% the same as humans doesn't mean that we're related in the sense that we have a common ancestor. It means that we're related by the fact that we have the same creator. And God created mammals in one sense. And then he created lobsters. And he created all these weird things that have all these varieties and variations. That's according to God's good creation. And we can say that a chihuahua and a healer are subspecies, we're terrified to say that human races are subspecies. We completely preclude the idea of subspecies when talking about human beings, in part because of the implications. Does it mean that an African somehow has a different degree of value than a European or an Asian? That's a moral question. And the answer before God is no. That's never going to be an argument you're going to hear from either of us. Jesus died for all homo sapiens. Jesus died for every descendant of Adam. That's all of us. Regardless of any of these differences that we're talking about in these episodes, we will never make any argument that says, well, this man is different than from this man, therefore God cares about this man and doesn't care about this man. That's absolutely the polar opposite of why we're talking about it in the first place. We're talking about it because Satan is using this as a wedge to divide Christ's church and to divide all of humanity in ways that are unnatural. Now, there are natural divisions, and that is what race is. Race is a natural division. As you look from Babel, what was the story of Babel? The people who all shared a common language when they were told by God, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, they said no. We're not going anywhere. We're going to build a tower that's going to be a monument to our own greatness. It's going to keep us together in this place, and we will be as God. We will be magnificent, and everyone will respect us for how unified we are. That is the spirit of this age. One race, the human race, is the cry of Babel. 
God was so infuriated at the evil of Babel that he came down to earth and he deliberately confused the languages of men so that they couldn't talk to each other each other anymore. Suddenly, one man could not speak to another at all. You have one guy speaking Proto-Germanic and another guy speaking Proto-Japanese. They're aliens to each other. Even though by blood they're related, God said, you know what? You didn't go your separate ways. I'm going to separate you because you're never going to be able to communicate again. And they did. That was what it finally took, was the division of language to separate groups, which were then still fairly closely related because they'd, they'd only recently come off the ark. We don't know if we know how many generations, but it wasn't very long. Those people were scattered across the face of the earth by God because they were crying one race, the human race. God said, this is evil. I am stopping it now. And so what did he do? According to Acts 17, 26, he appointed the boundaries of men and their dwell- the boundaries of their dwelling places in the numbers of their days. He said, you're going to go here and you're going to go there. And as I mentioned before, you can look at a topographical map of Europe and you can see Norway, Sweden, and Finland from space in the topography. You can see the mountain ranges that, that divide the, Nor- the Norsemen from the Swede. You can see the mountain range that divides the Portuguese from the Spanish. If you just look at a, at a political map of, of Portugal and Spain, you're like, why is that little sliver there a separate country? It never made any sense to me. I was, I was many years old when I finally saw this topographical map. and like, holy crap, I see Portugal. Now, God did that. God made those mountain ranges, and he sent men to those places. And what happened when they went to those places? They became isolated. First, they were isolated by language, as God ordained, and then through the process of interbreeding and intermarrying, the genetic content in their bodies became winnowed. So the men who were descended from Adam and from Noah, who went to Norway, got more and more pale, because the genes for them to lose the expression of for melanin that would cause them to reject most vitamin D in their skins went away. Now, a Norseman who moves to the equator is not going to suddenly turn black again. It was a one-way trip, just as you cannot take a chihuahua and turn him back into a wolf. Even though I think that, personally, I think it's arguable that if you look at the species that were on the ark, I don't think that you had a wolf and a coyote and a German shepherd, even though those all look very similar. They all have a same common ancestor. And see, the, the evolutionist will tell you that ancestor is, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years in the past. The Christian will say, well, the earth is about 6,000 years old, so that doesn't make sense. And all the, all the mammals were killed except for those that were two by two on the ark. So 4,500 years ago, we have this choke point where all the genes of all the creatures that live on land or fly were placed on the ark. Personally, I believe that there was a wolf or a proto-wolf on the ark, and that all of the speciation of the wolf, the coyote, the dog, the fox, everything downstream from the wolf classification genetically came from that pair. And as they went their separate ways and they went to their separate areas where God had ordained for the arctic fox to live here and the desert fox to live here, they're both foxes, but they're very differently equipped genetically. And Human beings work the same way. Not that we're foxes, not that we're dogs, but that we're creatures. They were God's creatures. And in his infinite wisdom, he gave Adam the genetic material to fill the entire earth. 
So when we talk about race, it is not a denial of creation. It's not a denial of the six-day creation or of the 6,000-year history of Earth. And it's not to say that human beings are just another animal like all the rest, but we do behave in similar ways because we're all made from the same stuff. And the genes that God gave us work in the same ways. And one of the values of looking at things like dogs is because they have much shorter gestational periods, you can get, you know, most of the dog species, subspecies today didn't exist 200 years ago. They all have a common ancestor that's almost in living memory. If you get a really old person who remembers another really old person from their family, they can probably, that person would be able to remember the ancestor of all the dogs today. Even though that person 200 years ago, if he looked at a Chihuahua and looked at a St. Bernard, like, what is this stuff? I have no idea. It looks like nothing I've ever seen. Genetically, they all came from the same place. We're talking about the same thing with people. And it's not a denial of humanity, and it's not a denial of salvation. It's saying that this is how God has chosen to work in the last 4,500 years since the flood in human lives. And that's one of the big hurdles because the data sounds atheist, but the conclusions are entirely consistent with Scripture, and they're also entirely consistent with observable reality. And that's something that I I hope people will take away from this discussion, is that we're not talking about theories, we're not talking about hypotheses, we're talking about measurable, discernible facts, and ones that actually have consequences. And we'll deal with those consequences in future episodes, but first we need to establish that this stuff is actually real and it's not a threat to your faith to look at it as a real thing. In fact, the real denial of the faith comes from denying these things. Because if you deny the reality of human race or these distinctions, these differences, what God did in time in the physical world, really that's a form of Gnosticism because you are denying the reality of the flesh. And so that is a violation of the first article of the creed. But I think possibly this is a good time to do a just a quick biology lesson to give those who haven't had biology in a while or perhaps never took it a bit of the fundamentals, the mechanics here, how this actually works and plays out in reality. And so there are some terms it is important to know. I, I would hope people are familiar with a few of the terms here, but one in particular that is important is haplogroup. And a haplogroup is basically a group of people who share a common ancestor. It's defined as a certain number of alleles that tend to be inherited together, alleles being a different form of a gene. You can have different forms of the same gene. If it's a different one, that's an allele. And so you can look at a map of haplogroups and you can see race on that map. But two of the most important types of haplogroups, and we'll put some images of these in the show notes, would be according to mitochondrial DNA and according to Y-chromosome DNA. And the reason that these two are important is because mitochondrial DNA is inherited from the mother alone. You do not get your mitochondrial DNA from your father. You get it from your mother because the mitochondrial DNA that comes from the sperm is destroyed in the ovum. It is not passed on. Only the mitochondrial DNA from the mother is passed on. And so we have a mitochondrial Eve. There is a woman at some point in history from whom all mitochondrial DNA comes. And of course that 
in the Christian case is Eve. That's why she's called mitochondrial Eve. Now, mitochondrial DNA can mutate over time because really any DNA can mutate over time. Not all mutations are beneficial, most are harmful. But some of the mutations are either neutral or they don't harm the organism in such a way that it doesn't carry on. And so that will carry on to successive generations. That's the sort of mutation that does not terminate a line. It will continue. Mitochondrial DNA is very stable. We aren't certain how stable yet, but there are some studies that estimate that it mutates as infrequently as once every 8,000 years. Now, of course, being Christians, again, we know the Earth is about 6,000 years old. This is the year of our Lord, 6,027, give or take two or three years. So they're probably off by a little bit on the rate of mutation. But the point is that it is very stable. There's very little mutation in mitochondrial DNA. The other group is Y-chromosome DNA. Hopefully those who've taken biology remember that women have two X chromosomes and men have an X and a Y chromosome. And so obviously you have to inherit your Y chromosome from your father. Y chromosomes do not really recombine. And now what recombining is, when you get your genetic information, you get half from your mother and half from your father. The chromosomes that match, so if it's the same chromosome, chromosome 5 from each parent, whatever it happens to be, there can be recombination where DNA can get swapped back and forth, and that's some of how you get genetic variants in populations over time, is recombination. The Y chromosome recombines very little. It only recombines on a tail where it matches with the X chromosome that you receive from the mother. 95% of the Y chromosome does not recombine. And so you wind up having a relative stability in inheritable Y chromosome DNA over time. And so you can define human groups according to the Y chromosome because you can look back to a common male ancestor from whom this population inherited that chromosome. However, the Y chromosome mutates much more frequently, much more quickly than mitochondrial DNA. You get a mutation every generation or so in the Y chromosome. Now it's a small mutation, but this can be tracked over time. What that means is you can tell how groups split from each other over time as human beings spread out over the surface of the Earth. And so if you look at these two maps together, you can pretty much tell exactly where the races are delineated simply on the basis of Y-chromosome haplogroups and mitochondrial DNA haplogroups. And again, we will put the, image, the images of this in the show notes. You can literally look at it and go, I can see the Japhethites on here. I can see the Hamites on here. I can see the Shemites on here. I can see Germanic Europe versus Slavic Europe versus Celtic Europe. These are real things that can be seen and tested in the real world, and they do not disagree with our faith whatsoever because they actually prove, again, it's further proof of the truth of the scriptures because you can see the groups that spread out from the ark. You can actually see a confirmation of what scripture says playing out in the real world as God designed it. We mention the show notes a lot, and I, I hope that you're checking those every week. I hope you're clicking through the URL to look. This is a podcast that has homework. Now, you don't need to go look at the stuff in order to like follow up on future episodes. So it's not, it's not homework that's graded. 
But in some cases, at least half of the episode isn't anything that we say, but that's the stuff that we like. So if you get value out of what we're saying, this episode and the next couple episodes in particular, please click through and look at this stuff so you can see for yourselves. Because this is an audio presentation and we're this is a superficial look at this stuff. We're not going super in-depth because frankly, it's not important for the purpose of these conversations. This conversation, this episode is specifically making the case that race is a real thing. So if you have gone around and said, one race, the human race, which is very common, people say it without without a guilty conscience, they think that they're being Christian. That's part of why we're, we're refuting it, is that it's not a Christian say, thing to say, but it sounds Christian. It's important as Christians to tell the truth. And the fact that Satan is attacking this specific area of the truth should be an indication to every Christian that there's something going on here that matters. Now, in the episode that we did on Christian nationalism and in the episode that we did on election, both of those we talked at some length, um, in part, probably about 20 minutes in each episode, we talked about some of these things, about how race and ancestry are concentric circles. So the notion, and this was, this was present, I mentioned in a previous episode, in the Webster 1828 definition of race or of, of nation, it specifically addresses the fact that there were the, were the race of Adam and the, you know, the Jews are the race of Abraham, that we as Europeans are the race of Japheth. And then as you go on down, those races get smaller. And one of the common false arguments, it's a cheap shot and it's dishonest, but it sounds convincing superficially, is that, well, how can a German and a Dutchman be a separate race if European and African are a separate race? None of it makes any sense. Like, you'll hear people say that, that, well, if there's this sort of continuum, I can't make sense of any of it, none of it must exist. That's just facially nonsense. The fact that you have a mother and a father and that your third cousins have a different mother and father and that yet you have a common great-grandparent, however far back it goes, doesn't mean you're not related. It just means that you're related to a different degree than your immediate cousin or your brother or sister. These degrees of relation are the basis of race. Now, there's the discussion of the subject. One of the things that will come up is that there are people who say, nobody even talked about any of this stuff until Darwin. Charles Darwin invented the origin of species and invented evolution in 1859, and suddenly everyone started talking about race, and it never existed before that. That's a bald-faced lie. It's, it's such a laughably retarded lie that it, it, it's, it beggars belief that it even exists. And yet there's some fairly intelligent people, superficially, who will say things like that. Not because it's true, but because it's a, it's a conversation-killing lie that no one is going to fight him over. You can go back to Aristotle and see him discussing ethnicity, and he broke it down into culture, language, and genetics, which is, is a good way of breaking it down. As Corey mentioned, the Germans and the Dutch are genetically almost indistinguishable. On If you look at genes, you're probably not going to be able to tell someone who's Dutch from someone who's German. Yet if you talk to them for 30 seconds, you can clearly tell the difference. And in many cases, you might be able to tell just by looking. Because there are differences that, there are a lot of things about genetics that we don't understand yet. 
that doesn't mean it's not real. It just means we don't know what's going on. The fact of ignorance of a man does not disprove the reality of a fact. It simply means that what we see with our own eyes, we don't yet have a downstream explanation for it. It's okay not to know, but it's not okay to lie because you don't know. So it is true that there is no one gene for race. And we'll get into this more in a little bit. But the reason that there's no one gene is that race is so inextricably linked to who you are as a human being, as a man or woman that God created in time from all of those fathers and all of those mothers going all the way back to the flood and back to Adam. There's such an intrinsic part of you that is from that winnowing process. That's the reason there's no race gene. That's the reason there's no skin color gene, which is another lie that we'll get to in a minute. These are not superficial things. These are things that are so deeply embedded in us that we don't yet understand how deep they go. That doesn't mean that they don't exist at all. It just means that as current year science looks at genetic data, it doesn't know where to find it. it and it doesn't know where to find it because there's so much of it that we don't yet understand. So looking at these things and saying, well, we don't understand doesn't preclude the existence of a thing. It just means we don't have an explanation. And it's okay as a Christian to leave it at that. There are lots of things we don't have explanations for. That doesn't mean they're false. And the fact that some of these discussions are coming from atheists and from evolutionists who have harmful intent in mind when they spread their lying conclusions doesn't undermine the reality of the created order that God has given for all of us to observe. And that's the important part of this. So to expand on, you brought up skin color. It's a good place to expand on that since we just went over the genetics as well. There are those who will try to argue that because you see different skin tones in different parts of the world, despite them clearly being different races, which is interesting. They're importing that assumption in there. But for instance, there are fair-skinned Japanese. There are fair-skinned Europeans. There are many fair-skinned people in the Middle East, even to this day, despite the various conquests that have taken place since the time of the New Testament. But it is not skin color that is the determiner of race. It is genetic descent that is the determiner of race. And that's why we speak of the race of Japheth, or the race of Shem, or the race of Ham. It is because a race is founded by a founding stock. Now, the genes that express and cause skin color may be shared across people groups. As mentioned, there are fair-skinned peoples in various parts of the world. There are dark-skinned people in various parts of the world. There is some genetic relation between the Aborigines in Australia and Sub-Saharan Africans, but they are distinct people groups despite having the same skin tone, because race is not skin tone. Skin tone is part of your phenotype, and again, your phenotype is the physical expression of your genotype. Your genotype is your genetics. Now, there's more to heritability than genetics, but we won't get into that now, and quite frankly, even the sciences aren't yet settled on what exactly and how exactly that works. So genetics DNA is good enough for our purposes. But race is not your skin color. Skin color is not your race. Because it is more than that. 
you are who and what you are because of quite a lot of things that came together historically to make your people unique. You are a member of that group because God saw fit to make you a member of that group. That was part of his plan. All of these genetic differences between the various races of men existed in Adam. They were part of God's plan from the beginning. And so there are those who will tell you that race is a punishment from God as part of the Tower of Babel. And that is lying about God. That is high-handed sin. Christians should never let those words pass their lips. The various races of men are part of God's plan because God intended for us to spread over the face of the world, adapt to the area in which we live, to be fruitful and multiply. And he built into Adam the ability to do that. And that is what has taken place. And so part of that, of course, is going to be skin tone. And if you want to look at the explanation for skin tone, it's very easy. Pull up a map of human skin tones. You'll see that it is simply a matter of how far you are away from or how close you are to the equator. And the reason for that is very simple. If you get farther away from the equator, you need to be able to absorb more sunlight for various biological processes. And so if you have more melanin in your skin, if you have darker skin, you are going to have a problem producing certain vitamins and other things, and you are going to have health problems because of that, so you need fair skin to let the sunlight pass through. If you are close to the equator, you are going to get plenty of sunlight. If you are as fair-skinned as a Swede or a Norwegian, and you're living on the equator, you are going to get sunburned. That's not advantageous, unless you live there long enough and are able to tan, of course. And so that's all skin tone is. When we speak about race, we're not speaking about skin tone. Skin tone is part of the equation. It is simply what God built into humanity so that we could live anywhere on the planet, instead of just having one skin tone and having to live in a narrow latitude. And the reason that's important to discuss skin color first is because one of the most common deceptions and frankly, one of the laziest things that is said, even among people who know what's going on, is to call some people white and other people black. You know what someone it means when they say that, but it's a dangerous frame because it begs the question that that's all races, that if someone were lighter, they wouldn't be black anymore. You can Google pictures of albinos of various races you can have albinos where they have identical skin tone. You can clearly tell who's white, you can tell who's Asian, and you can tell who's African. Because you know what? There's a lot more going on. And it's not just facial features. It's not just distinguishing eye shape or jaw shape or skull shape, although the, all those things are true. There is a tremendous amount going on by, by virtue of genetic variation in each of the distinct races. And we, we begin with the color question because it's such nonsense. Because one of the most common arguments against us will be, you don't like people who look different. You don't like people with different skin color. That's just stupid. It's just flat out stupid. None of the discussion of race from those who say it's real has anything to do with skin color. Yes, it is a common shorthand because when you say black, everybody knows what you mean. 
However, that doesn't mean that because there's a gradient of colors and at some point you have a white person and at the opposite point of a black person and there are shades in between that we can't possibly know what the difference between black and white is. That is a flat out logical fallacy. It's, it's just nonsense. And yet it's very it's the common fallacy when of the someone. Heap. Yeah. Yes. Yep. It's, it, it's deliberate deception in order to just throw chaff into the air so no one can have an honest discussion about this stuff. There are so many aspects of what it means to have a particular race that manifest in terms of behavior, in terms of intelligence, in terms of disease profile. And doctors know all of these things, or at least they did 20 years ago. And this is what's really deadly about this lie, which, as I said, the atheist evolutionists are now getting on the same page as the Christians and denying race exists, and they're killing people as a result. Because you know what? If you are African, of African descent, you have a much higher likelihood of having sickle cell anemia. It's a blood disorder that everyone's heard about. Your red blood cells have, uh, they're shaped wrong. It turns out that the sickle cell mutation is actually advantageous in terms of fighting malaria. It's a mutation that harms your ability to correctly I think, deal with oxygen uptake in your blood. I'm not sure what the effects are, but it has a positive effect. It has the effect of reducing the ability for malaria to reproduce in your body. That is only found in Africa because only Africans live near the equator where malaria is rampant. You can't have malarial swamps in places like Norway. There are no mosquitoes carrying malaria in the fjords. There are in Africa. So these variations that have real-world consequences, like sickle cell anemia, are specifically linked to race. Now, it's not that being an African causes you to have sickle cell anemia. It's that the race of Africans tend to have that particular mutation because of where they lived for 4,500 years. The same is true across numerous other groups. If I had a friend who married a Jewish girl, and so when they had their first kid, she had to go to have specific prenatal testing for lots of different uh, genetic diseases that are particular to Jews. If he had married someone who's white, it wouldn't have been an issue. But Jews are more likely to have Tay-Sachs. They're 40% more likely to suffer from schizophrenia. And all these things are genetics. When I say Jew, I'm not talking about someone who reads the Talmud and wears the funny hat. I'm talking about someone who's descended from those who identifies the race of Jews. Now, it's not hateful to say that. I'm not saying curse these people because they're Jews and I want them to have bad diseases. They have bad diseases in their genes that are particular to them. These variations are racial. And Today, as I said, doctors are now ignoring this stuff. We're saying, oh, it's, it's all one race, the human race. You can't possibly have any differences. Well, that's going to get a lot of people killed who wouldn't have died if they had received the appropriate treatment. And I think as Christians, we need to be really concerned about the fact that an unexamined given that we brought forward to say, well, we're all descended from Adam, so we're all exactly the same— and scientists for a long time were saying, no, that's not true at all. We have, we have all these meaningful differences in our bodies, in our genes, that have profound physical consequences. Now suddenly, the doctors, the, the so-called experts, 
are denying those things and they're using the same rationale as the Christians, as we've said before, that should really concern you because they're going to get people killed by lying. Lies cause harm. They always cause harm. And the fact that doctors are now lying about Tay-Sachs and they're lying about sickle cell anemia is done in the name of anti-racism. It's saying, well, we can't possibly dis differentiate or distinguish, so we must say we're all the same. And then you have people suffering and dying from genetic diseases that are derived specifically from their race because a doctor will say, well, you're human. I, I can't tell. There's, there, you have no specific risk profile. You're just a human being. That's, that's a lie that does harm, and it's a moral matter. These, these things are moral matters. They're not simply scientific inquiry. We've danced a little bit around a point that I should probably make more explicit. When it comes to the percentage of your DNA that comes from certain ancestors, if you have very little DNA from someone who is seven or eight generations back, and that could very likely be the case, you are still, so long as all of those individuals married within your particular ethnic group, related to the other people in your ethnic group in a web of relations. Because, of course, there is a great pool of shared genetic material in that particular group. And so you will be more related to any randomly chosen member of that group than a member of another group somewhere else in the world. And so, for instance, if you are descended from the Dutch, living in the U.S., you're descended from the Dutch, if you went to the Netherlands you would be more related to any random Dutchman you found than if you were to go to Africa and pick anyone in Africa. And this shows up in a couple places in the same sort of vein as the medical issues. If you are descended from Japheth, which is to say if you are white, if you are European, and you marry someone from Africa, which is to say someone descended from Ham, your children are effectively not related to you because their DNA is so different from yours that you are more closely related to any random person from your nation of origin than you are to your own child. And the reason this starts to cause problems is because if you need a bone marrow transplant or an organ transplant or any of a number of treatments, you will not be compatible. The odds of you being a compatible donor for your child are basically zero. The odds of you finding a compatible donor are also extremely low. So there are very real consequences of this in the real world. This is not something you can deny and just ignore it and hope for the best. Because if you ignore these things, there's a very real chance those consequences will occur and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. And so an another issue for disease frequency is that you do actually see more diseases crop up in those who have a mixed lineage than those who do not. And so that is a consideration for Christians, because what you have from your ancestors is what was given to you by God. And so you are supposed to pass that on to your children. You can, through poor decisions, steal from the next generation through your selfish decisions. And that is a moral consideration. And so these are things that Christians have to take into account. We do not simply get to ignore this issue because it makes us uncomfortable or because the world tells us that we should ignore it. 
And we have this happening today, as was mentioned, as Woe mentioned. We have doctors who will pretend that these problems don't exist, that, oh, there's no predictive ability of your genetic ancestry, of your racial ancestry, and that's just a lie. But we've actually moved on from that. We're now on the next step, down or up the Marxist ladder, whichever way you want to think of it, I guess down given the destination. We now have doctors and others denying the reality of sex. And the reason for that is that, as said, it's just the next step on the ladder. It makes perfect sense in the Marxist timeline, in their plan, to go from denying the reality of human race to denying the reality of sex. Because if you're not really any particular race, you don't have an ethnic origin, that's genetic, well, so is sex. Sex is also genetically determined. Again, women have two X chromosomes, men have an X and a Y. And we see this coming up in the medical field and others, where there are doctors now who recommend a scan for ovarian cancer for a man who's claiming to be a woman. Or they won't do a check for prostate cancer in a man who's claiming to be a woman. Biology doesn't care what you claim to be. If you are a man, if you were born a man, you have a prostate and you can get prostate cancer, and odds are you will, if you live long enough. So that is something for which you have to screen, because that is a biological reality. The same plays out with regard to race. There are biological realities that flow from race and have to be considered, or real harm is caused. As we mentioned earlier, none of this is a denial that we're all the same species. One of the definitions of a species that's typically accepted taxonomically for, for any creature is the ability to interbreed. If two creatures can reproduce viable offspring that themselves can reproduce, they're typically considered, that's one of the measures by which you determine if it's the same species. It is absolutely true that a European and an African can reproduce and can reproduce viable offspring, which themselves can reproduce. However, when you look at the fertility rates across all the various populations, the peak fertility for how related you are to someone is actually in about the fourth cousin. So that's not simply talking about another white person, if you're European, and it's not simply talking about another German. It means, you know, if you're German, it means someone who lives in the same town as you probably, or maybe the next town over, but someone that you potentially would see at a family reunion. Now, a fourth cousin is a fairly distant cousin, but it's close enough that you may well know their name, particularly if you're blessed to live in a community which really doesn't exist anymore where you would keep in contact. There's a theological import to the fact that fourth cousins have the highest rate of fecundity. That's not trivial. Children are a blessing from God. And that which is blessed is that which is most desirous from God. He doesn't bless things that he finds to be evil, not in the same way that he blesses things he finds to be good. And so if fourth cousins are the peak fecundity, that what that means is that if you marry a first or second cousin, you're less likely to reproduce for any given event of marriage. If you're looking at a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth cousin, or someone who's a complete stranger from the other side of the world— the fertility rate falls off significantly. That's not random. And I think one of the 
problems that humans have and Christians have when dealing with questions of genetics is the question of randomness, because we can't see the inputs. All we can see is behavior. We can see a person A, person B. We can see their behavior, and then we can see the outcomes at sort of a high level. There's so much apparent randomness in what happens with genetic admixture that is imperceptible to the human mind and in many cases simply incalculable that we tend to disregard it as being inconsequential. And I think that as Christians, the reality that we should focus on is that God knows what's going on at these levels. When God gave Adam 46 chromosomes, he knew the contents of every single gene in there. He knew all of it. There are 30,000 odd genes. He knew what was in each of them. He, he chose them specifically for specific purposes. When he brought Eve from out of Adam's body, Eve was a fully formed woman. What that meant was that she probably had in the order of hundreds of thousands, maybe million or so eggs inside her body. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that when a little girl is born, she has as many eggs as she's ever going to have in her entire life. Eggs are not reproduced during the life of a person. They're produced at a, a germ level in utero, and then they die off throughout the person's life, the girl's life, and they're also shed once ovulation begins. And so a girl is born, she's conceived initially as something like six or seven million of what could potentially become ova. By the time of birth, there's about 300,000, give or take. By the time she begins to reach sexual maturity, she's lost about 10,000 of those every month. And then one or two are shed every month through ovulation. And then at menopause, basically the system shuts down because the eggs are basically exhausted. So there's a finite amount of them that God creates when he creates life, and then they're depleted, and that's the end of a girl's reproductive life. It's not the end of her life, but it's the end of her life as someone who can potentially reproduce. Men sort of work in the opposite direction. We don't really begin producing sperm until puberty, and then we produce millions a day until long after we're likely to ever be reproducing. And so... God has architected our bodies in different ways to achieve his ends. But it seems random to us. It's not random to God. And so the fact that fourth cousins are the most likely to be blessed by reproducing successfully is itself, I believe, in a theological conclusion. It points to the fact that marrying not only within your own race, like we're not just talking about White people marry white people, Asians marry Asians. It's a question of, as, as Corey said, how closely related are you to someone? Because when you're looking, if you need a bone marrow match or a, you know, a kidney donor or something, it's not simply another European that's going to do the job. They're not closely related enough. Because as we said, these are concentric circles. You need someone who has very similar ancestry to your own to have the chance you know, the random chance from a, from a human perspective, but it's not random, it's up to God. All of these things are passed down through time, and God acts in time to produce each of us in a particular way. You know, I'm about 75% English, give or take, and about 20% German. So someone else with a similar ancestry is my relative. If, you know, if they came from Kent and they came from Saxony, we're closely related, more so than someone, you know, even someone who might be Spanish. 
I would be more closely to, related to a random Englishman that was 20% Dutch than to a Spaniard by virtue of the fact that these things group over time and tend to cluster. And again, if, if you've listened to us thus far, at no point have we said anything hateful other than saying that human beings are created by God differently. And the fact that the world is now saying that that itself is hateful should be a cause for great concern for Christians because it flies in the face of Scripture. It flies, flies in the face of the truth of what we discover when we look at these facts. Why is that lie so important? Because when Satan authored it, he had something in mind. And when Christians are parroting that lie, we need to be more wily and more concerned about what the final goal of such a lie is. And when we repeat them, when we say it's just skin color, skins is, it's only skin deep, one race, the human race, these, these bumper sticker tropes that make people feel better, and maybe it's a good way to tamp down some disagreement that pe- two people have in the moment. And you say, look, it, you know, this is a Noah family reunion. You guys need to just get along. People should get along. They should get along peacefully, but it shouldn't be done in terms that cause us to have to lie to get there. That's not what God desires. He desires us to be peaceful, even in the face of things that are maybe not desirable, but we don't lie to get there. And when we lie about race, as Corey said, it's an attack on the creator. If you lie about how you were created, you were lying about he who created you. And he who created you is he who redeemed you. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the second episode. But again, these are these are theological questions that manifest in space and time. And the fact that they're all seen, particularly lately through this Marxist lens, where again, they don't want to talk about what race is. They just want to talk about it as a weapon. We as Christians must get away from accepting their frame and looking at the actual ground truth of these matters. Because failure to do that is setting us up for failure. Because whatever lie you want to adopt, Satan has a step two or a step three for that lie. He knows what the next move is, even if we don't. And that's why it's so important to guard ourselves up front against not repeating some of these deceptions. To go back for a second to something we said earlier, to give people a, a hard number since some will not be familiar with this, when we say that human beings, one human being to another, is going to be somewhere between 98 and 99.9% the same genetically, human beings have 3 billion base pairs, roughly, in our genomes. So a difference of one-tenth of 1% is 3 million base pairs. This is not a trivial difference. It sounds like a small difference until you realize the scale of the thing about which we are talking. And so when you're dealing with 3 billion base pairs, that one-tenth of 1% difference is significant, particularly given the rate of mutations that occur over time. When we talked about race being skin deep, there was a, a scientific study that was done about a year and a half ago. It was uh, done by someone, a doctor, who was basically employing what is called artificial intelligence to x-rays to make conclusions related to healthcare outcomes, basically trying to determine with, with a, a whole bunch of, of x-rays of people's chests and various other body parts to make sure that as it was going through their machinery, they would be giving them the desired outputs and not undesirable ones. And this person is diametrically opposed to us in terms of politics. 
there. In fact, I, I actually had trouble finding the thread earlier today because the screenshot that I had of the thread was from a Dr. Luke. And now he's, I think, Dr. Laura. This The guy who did this is now pretending to be a woman. So that gives you some idea where he is on the political spectrum. And yet, what he found in the paper that, that he and some other authors did was that when they fed these x-rays into their artificial intelligence algorithm, it was able to determine the race of the patient, even when that was never the question asked. Now, the race that they were using wasn't anything based on genetics. It was simply self-identified. If the patient said on the form, I'm white, I'm black, whatever, that was what they correlated back to the images. Now, the important thing is that they never told the computer anything about any of the racial data. They just said, here are a bunch of chest x-rays. Can you divide them up? What they found was that with a clear chest x-ray, the machinery, the computer algorithm, with 99% accuracy, was able to determine if someone was European, African, or Asian. I'm going to say that again. Looking at a chest x-ray, the computer could tell if you were European, African, or Asian. No other information. Now, the authors completely freaked out because they're like, oh my god, the computer's racist, what do we do? Because they were thinking the same thing a lot of you are thinking, that race isn't real, we're all one race, the human race, and if these computers are finding this race stuff in these images, we're in real trouble. Now, I said artificial intelligence because that's the term that's used, but it's really a nonsense term. What these specific computer algorithms do is simply pattern matching. They look at a collection of data whether it's images or sounds or whatever, and they measure the probability with which one thing is likely to be similar to another. So when I say pattern matching, when you match a pattern as a person, maybe I show you a red ball and I show you a blue ball and ask you, are they the same? And you would say, well, they're the same shape, but they're not the same color. What do you mean by same? If I showed you a red ball and a red ball and asked you, are the same? The pattern would be, yeah, they're the same. Maybe the size varies, but the shape and the color are the same. So when a human pattern matches, it's based on particularity. Now, we might generalize and just sort of a glance say, yeah, those the two things are similar. The computers have no notion of ball. They have no concept of ballness or colorness or any of the other aptitudes, the other qualities of the thing. All they're doing is saying... Image one is 83% consistent with image two, and that's literally it. So when they fed these chest x-rays and all the other x-rays into the hopper, it didn't know what an x-ray was. It didn't know what a skeleton was. It didn't know what a human was. All it knew was that some bones and some other bones, and it was still able to divide them with 99% accuracy into the bucket of European, African, and Asian. Now, if you individually have ever said race is only skin deep, race is a social construct, how do you process that? How do you deal with the fact that an x-ray can show, and it wasn't a full body x-ray, it wasn't a skeleton, we'll get to skeletons in a moment, but when you just show a portion of an individual's skeleton to a machine, it's able to tell what race they were. Part of the reason it was so shocking to the scientists was they didn't know it was possible. It, it was a completely shocking revelation because no x-ray tech has ever been able to look at someone's chest x-ray and say, yeah, that's a black guy, that's a white guy. It, it doesn't happen. And yet the computer, because it was able to see things that humans can't see, just in terms of statistical comparison, it said, yeah, these three buckets exist 
And these three buckets have names the humans have given them, which are races, major racial groups. And the wildest part of this thing was that with perfectly clear x-rays, they were able to do with 99% accuracy. They also used degraded x-rays where they deleted more and more information, basically down-resing it. So, you know, like if you have a, a 4K picture and you take it down to HD and then you take it down to like, you know, imagine the original iPhone with like a 320 by 240 screen and you take it even smaller than that, they found that the computer was still able to tell what the race was even with radically reduced resolution, which really blew their minds because like, where is it getting the information? And yet the consistent results were still over 90% accuracy. So they took it a step further. They took the original image that was high definition, but they began to apply a random noise filter to it. Now what that means is that they would randomly flip pixels black or white. And so you what you got was just a gray fuzz. They were able to fuzz it to the point that the images themselves just look like gray squares. So as a human being looking at it, not only we you wouldn't know as an x-ray, you wouldn't be able to tell one image from apart from the other apart. And yet the the algorithm was still able to tell with 90% accuracy that one image came from an African, another came from a European, and a third came from an Asian. Now, all this is to say is that race is so deeply and inextricably linked inside our bodies that it manifests in ways that we had no idea even even existed. It wasn't until they fed all these images into the computer that anyone had any idea you could tell from a chest x-ray or a wrist x-ray what race someone was. There's never been any study that showed that before, which doesn't say it's false. It was an absolutely true discovery, but it was completely unexpected and was unexpected by people who were terrified. The paper that they wrote was basically, oh my God, the computer's racist. How do we lobotomize it? Because again, if if there's one race, the human race, and yet the computer is saying, this guy is white, this guy is Asian, if you deny race, you're going to be terrified of the fact that the computer is reaching impermissible outcomes. And so it was a cause for hysteria, but I look at it and say, well, on one hand, it's kind of surprising how much it was intrinsic, but on the other hand, it's not surprising at all it's because we know, as we as we pointed back in the albino example, facial structure, skull structure is radically different. There's There are intrinsic aspects of human beings that are distinctly categorized by race that have nothing to do with skin color. They have nothing to do with anything except for after thousands of years of, of variation, of genetic variation, We've come out differently, which again is not a value judgment. It's just saying that we're different in observable ways. And as Christians, we should be able to say, yes, we're observe, we're different in observable ways without feeling that that threatens anyone's salvation or that it threatens the gospel because it absolutely doesn't. What does threaten the gospel is lying about these things, and that should be our chief concern. So it's interesting that a machine would be able to pick out race from something that for a human being looking at it, it would be effectively noise. There would be essentially no signal there that would be discernible by us. And that was just with chest x-rays. Human beings can actually tell, trained human beings obviously, can tell from skeletons the race and the, the sex of someone. Because there are very distinct formations, the way the skeleton is shaped, different densities, all sorts of things that you can tell. So you can tell the race and the sex of someone from a skeleton alone. 
And we see this all the time. This is done all the time by anthropologists, by archaeologists, by those who are studying ancient civilizations. If you dig up a skeleton and you have the training, you can definitively say that was a European male between these ages. And so, obviously, yes, a computer can do this as well, because a computer can do it from an x-ray that's downgraded to the point of being noise. But it's just further refutation of those who would try to say that skin color is race, or that race is skin color, that it's skin deep. It's not. There are fundamental differences, and you can see that in the skeletal structure, you can see that in the biology, you can see that in, we'll get into in later episodes, behavior and other things. Race is a fundamental part of human nature, and that is by God's design. Because, of course, human nature is God's design. And in the case of skeletons being dug up, this is actually an important part of forensics for police. If they discover a skeleton in a field or something for a person who's been dead for some time and there's no no longer any distinguishing physical characteristics, they will call in, call in these experts who can clearly determine the race, the the sex, and in, in some cases, you know, even the age and perhaps the the sort of life that the person led. One of the interesting things from anthropology when they're digging up older skeletons is that they can tell, for example, or any any skeleton really, they can tell what sort of childhood and upbringing you had. They can determine the rate of your uh, your nutrition. What were you being fed well? Were you being underfed? They can tell if you led an active physical lifestyle. So if someone was engaged in strenuous physical activity, particularly as they are going through puberty, that actually affects your growth plates. So your bones will look different than someone who led a more sedentary life, which in the case of history will tend to indicate what caste someone fell into, what class. You know, were they a laborer? Were they a warrior? Were they, you know, someone who lived in a castle and maybe they, they did those things for fun or for training, but not because it was life and death. So all of these things are manifest in our physical bodies, and they're left long after our skin is gone. And this, too, has been become controversial recently. I was reading an account earlier today from a girl who was, I believe she was teaching a class related to the study of bones dug up by police to identify victims. And the professor who was supervising the class and the students lost their minds when she said when she said that you can tell the race of someone by their skeleton they they went into a frenzy they were so upset at the idea that you could tell the race of a person without looking at their skin color now that's not the response of someone pursuing an academic truth that's not the response of someone who has in their mind i want to learn what is real that's a religious response when you say something and people weep and they gnash their teeth and they tear their clothes and they howl, that is religious. That is a religious response to hearing blasphemy. And we're doing this episode because it's blasphemous, not against God, but discussing race in these realistic terms is absolutely blasphemous to the spirit of this modern age, which for a while, again, said, yes, race was real when they were talking about evolution, but now that they're trying to collapse all of humanity back before the Tower of Babel into a single 
seething mass of undifferentiated humanity with neither sex nor race nor any distinguishing characteristics apart from being a consumer. The spirit of this age is in opposition to telling the truth about these things now. And unfortunately, most Christians are behind the eight ball because we have not seriously engaged in the question because of the origins of some of the things. You know, we've, we've talked many times about the genealogy of ideas, and I've tried to focus when we, when we discuss that on the genealogy is not simply from whence it came, but what was the original motivation of whoever was coming up with it. Now, race has always been understood by human beings. It's found throughout Scripture. We've talked about that in the two previous episodes I mentioned. The differentiation between the races has become greater and greater over time as we left Mount Ararat and finally filled the earth as God commanded. There's far more diversity genetically today than there was 500 years after Mount Ararat because, as Corey is mentioning, that's simply how mutation works, and that is how the migration of these genes back and forth among people as they reproduce works. That's not contrary to God's plan. And you can see in Revelation 7-9 that all the nations are gathered around the throne. And when John was looking at them, he could tell what race they were. He could tell that they were from the various nations. So that, that goes back to the, the Gnostic element of this denial of the flesh. It is fundamentally Gnostic for us to say, oh, we're all just spirits. We'll, we'll get a new body that won't be anything like this body we have now. That's utterly blasphemous. God created you personally exactly as he intended you to be. Now, what came out of your mother's womb is indeed injured by sin and by degradation. When God raises us from the dead, all of those degradations, all of the genetic deformities, all the defects will be washed away. Nothing will be present that isn't perfect. But the imperfections that are washed away will not include the race that we are, because that is absolutely a part of God's perfect plan. It's part of the plan in Acts 17.26, when he describes the nations being given the boundaries of their dwelling places, and it's present in Revelation 7.9, before the throne of God, when all the nations of the world, of every color, of every appearance, of every language, gather before the throne of God, which means that they are perfected in the languages and the physical bodies that they were given in this life. The race that you're given is the race that you will always be. And if you despise that, you need to be seriously concerned because if you're despising how God created you, the damned are resurrected too. There's, there's no annihilationism in Scripture. Every dead man will be raised on the last day, and the sheep are then separated from the goats. So those who deny their race and deny their creator as a result of it and deny the resurrection of the body by saying, well, I'm not going to be raised as a white man or as a, a Japanese man or as a Ugandan. I'm just going to be raised as, as something new. You're flirting with damnation, and God will sort that out. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not saved if you say those things, but I am saying that you are saying to God, I hate what you made. I want to be something different. That is not a confession that any of us should seek to take before the throne of God. When Christ died for each of us and his blood covers our sins and washes our robes white in his blood, 
That is for every man who is ever descended from Adam, but only the robes of those who confess Christ will receive that. And confessing Christ means confessing how he created us. We were created through him. We were redeemed through him. We will be resurrected with him. And if we take a hatred of self and a hatred of creation to Judgment Day, that's a sin that we need to repent for as well. And denial of race and denial of these truths is a sin. Even though there are some who use these truths for evil ends, that does not make the truths themselves evil. That makes the truths themselves truth. Truth can be a weapon. Truth can do harm or it can do good. But you do not solve the harm that can be done by a truth by denying that it's true. And as Christians, we have no choice but to engage first in truth and then to approach and love all that which is true. So as the future episodes come and we go into more detail on the spiritual aspects of this, I want everyone to keep in mind that this is not some sideshow. We can see in the world how much race matters to Satan. And if it matters to Satan, it must matter to Christians. And until we've done this episode, I'm not aware of any serious discussion among Christians that had any depth or clarity that would address these issues in a way that's going to be blasphemous to the world, but yet consistent with Scripture. And I hope that there will be more Christians who will begin to study and think and engage in this way, because I think that the time is growing short for the church, and I think that we should be prepared to give a defense for everything, including creation itself. Uh, so I'd encourage everyone to please look at the show notes, look at the uh, all the different links we'll have there. This is probably going to have more than most. Uh, I would like to mention one of the websites that we're going to link to is from uh, an old friend from Twitter, Thultide. He's not a Christian. He is an old earth evolutionist. So many of the things that he says you will find offensive for some of the conclusions. The reason that we're going to link to him is that he's honest. There are some things that are said within the right-wing sphere on Twitter that are based on race that he will also refute to the right when it doesn't agree with the facts. I don't know his background, but I can tell from reading him for many years, he's a very smart guy and he really knows his stuff. And so we're going to link to him because he has a number of 101 articles that go down some of the fallacies that are involved in this subject. Many things you, you may well believe now, we've refuted a few of them, but there are plenty of others. So as you look at that again, I would encourage you to try to separate the wheat from the chaff. There will be things on the webpage that I will, I will tell you right now, some of the conclusions, particularly around the timelines, saying that these things took hundreds of thousands of years. Those are false. That does not mean that the data itself is false. And so as you look through it, I hope that you'll find some value as a Christian in synthesizing what you know from Scripture, from the facts that are found within your own body. Because those pages are about you too. They're about the stuff that's inside you. They're how God made you. They're how God made each of us. And that's something that we should know about and we should give thanks for and we cannot deny. And so it is because of our love and our thanks for God and how he's done these things in our lives that we're doing these episodes because it's a challenging subject. And frankly, just discussing race is enough for people to try to dox and destroy you. As recording this right now, there's a massive campaign to dox us and to get us expelled from our churches for saying these things, which are not hateful, they're simply truthful. But the fact that that elicits so much hate, I think is itself 
that this is a really big deal for Satan. And as Christians, it needs to be something that we at least give due consideration as well, because souls are on the line. Yes, as we record, I know there are people who are attempting to harass my pastor. But at any rate, to address an issue that I know will come up for some people, there's the question of how Marxism plays into this. Because I know some will think, well, Marxists deny that race is real. And that's true, they do that today. But you have to realize, as we mentioned in previous episodes, you can go back to the immediately previous episode, Marxism is a mercenary ideology. It is ends-seeking. It has no actual core when it comes to principles or anything like that. And so there is no standard to which you can hold it. It has a goal in mind, and it will do whatever it takes to reach that goal. Of course, the goal is unobtainable. It's a utopia, which for those who know a little bit of Greek know that utopia means not a place. That's why it's a joke. But the early Marxist theorists, including Marx, were all very firmly in the race realist camp. I have a number of quotes here I'm looking at from Marx, and he at the very least addresses the German, the Jewish, and I will say the African, because I am not going to use the word that he did, races. And so you have race realism from them in the beginning, and you have an explicit argument from the Marxist theorists that you have to destroy these distinctions because the goal is a creation of an undifferentiated global humanity without borders, without differences, all of one class. Of course, this is all impossible to achieve, but that's the goal. And because it's what we said earlier in the episode, in this episode, it's Babel. They want to remake Babel. Their goals are wicked and they will do whatever it takes to get there. Early on, they affirm the races because they have to affirm the reality in order to argue that they need to be destroyed. Now that they have made some progress toward the ends of destruction, they argue they don't exist and so you shouldn't do anything that recognizes that you have a racial identity, that you're a member of a nation. Because they want to deny the reality of God's good creation and restore the wickedness of Babel. That is the end goal. The end goal is rebellion against God and subversion. That is what all of this is, and that is why we are discussing the issue. We discuss these issues because Christians have to know where the battlefield is and what is being fought, the issues over which we are actually fighting. Because if you're standing on a different battlefield where the enemy isn't there, it doesn't matter what you do. You've lost. Because the enemy is attacking the other side of the city. And that is why we will keep harping on issues like this. We will keep addressing these issues. Because these are the things that are important. If they do not get addressed, if Christians do not realize the reality of what is happening, of what the enemy is doing, then it doesn't matter how true you believe you are being to scripture, to the faith, to God. Because you are not opposing the things that Satan is attacking. You are not defending where Satan is attacking you. And that is what we want Christians to do. The church has to be defended. That is one of the duties of a Christian man is to defend the church, to defend his family. And you cannot do that if you do not understand the enemy, if you do not know when the enemy is going to attack and where he is attacking. That is why we address these issues. 
We don't address the issue because we're obsessed with it, because we find it particularly interesting or anything like that. If not for the fact that the enemy is attacking here, we probably wouldn't dedicate any time to this stuff. But because the enemy is attacking it, because Christians are caught unaware, that is why we are addressing these issues. And so we need you to listen carefully to what it is we're saying and what it is we are not saying, to read through the materials in the show notes if you need the additional context. And yes, if you still have questions, please do send those. We are reading them. We, do, we know we have a backlog of them. We will address them as we have time and as they come up. But it is important for Christians to understand what is going on in the world. You are not called simply to be as harmless as a dove, but also to be as wise as a serpent. And this is part of that. So pay careful attention, do your homework, and ask questions.